Hi, this is Anne Filippi, founder of The New Health Club. If you want to know about psychedelics as new mental health tools, you came to the right place. I talk to innovators, thought leaders and disruptors, creating the future of mental health and mental wellness. And we think that the future is already here. Hi, and welcome to a new episode of The New Health Club Show. Today, I have really big news for you. Together with the Canadian company Dimensions, the New Health Club will co-create psychedelic retreats in Europe, starting this autumn in the Netherlands with magic truffle experiences. Dimensions, our new partner, offers safe and legal plant medicine-assisted experiences for personal growth and well-being. In December last year, I was a guest at Dimensions Retreat, And this changed my perspective on the topic of psychedelics, cannabis, retreats, and the importance of somatic work. So I do think that cannabis can offer psychedelic insights too, helping you to heal on a deep level. On top, if you put somatic treatments in a mix, the outcome will be even stronger and more profound. But let me quickly introduce dimensions. This is the place to reconnect an opportunity to heal and a path to lasting transformation. Whatever your intention, Dimensions invites you to unlock your potential for well-being while experiencing warm hospitality in a luxurious natural setting. So since this will be our, like I said, new partners and co-creators, of course, I wanted to chat with the CEO of Dimensions, Christopher Dawson, and the COO, Andrew Galloway, about their personal plant medicine journey, the idea of cannabis retreats and cannabis as a ceremony, the importance of science-informed and trauma-informed retreats, and of course, we will outline how the new health club and dimensions co-create a strong network of retreats in Europe and how this can actually look like. Also, I'm very happy and very pleased to be part of the Dimensions Advisory Board. Please enjoy this episode because this means a really big step for the New Health Club and leads us to our next development as a company too. So please enjoy the show with Andrew and Christopher. Welcome on the New Health Club show, Christopher Dawson, CEO of Dimensions and Andrew Galloway, COO of Dimensions. So without further ado, I would like to quickly introduce our listeners to, and also viewers now on, on YouTube, what is Dimensions in a nutshell? Well, first of all, Anne, it's lovely to see you. When did I last see you in person? In London, when we were running around the city. Yeah, early February. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyway, it's lovely to see you and for us all to be together. You last saw Andrew in Miami, I guess, right? Mm -hmm. That's right. Uh, well, uh, we're, we're really happy to um, have you host us on your ever-growing and ever-more-important podcast, so thank you. Um, and uh, also for introducing us to potentially audiences that we haven't been exposed to. You know, Dimensions is a company that's predominantly Western Hemisphere, let's say, uh, but it's good to be talking to people in Europe because we're going to be later on we'll chat more about what we're going to be working on together in in europe so um so we're excited about that um 
Dimensions Retreats is a retreat organization, no surprise given the name. Uh, the origin of the company uh, goes back to the fact that Andrew and I worked together at an organization called the Edgewood Health Network, which is the largest traditional mental health and addiction treatment organization in Canada. And uh, we got to know each other quite well there, and we spent a lot of time discussing what, in our view, might be considered the drawbacks of traditional treatment. And uh, Andrew, through personal experience, which he'll talk about in a minute, uh, in my case, maybe a bit more professional experience, but we both independently came to understand something about the drawbacks of traditional treatment. And that came through our personal experiences with plant medicine. Mine was a trip that I took to Peru very unexpectedly and quite uncharacteristically a number of years ago. Uh, and to be honest with everybody, I need to point out that it was really, except for Antarctica, it was the only continent I'd never been on. So it was as much to do with that as anything that I was taking this last minute trip. But when I went to Peru, I attended a conference. Uh, and that conference was populated by neuroscientists and neurobiologists on the one hand, and shaman and traditional healers on the other. And, uh, you know, at the risk of sounding dramatic, my life changed, at least my professional life changed in those three or four days that I was at that conference, because it uh, helped me understand that mental health issues that are typically assumed to be psychiatric in origin or brain chemistry in origin, uh, such as depression, anxiety, PTSD, substance use disorder, these are all indications that emanate in the body, not in the brain. And this was what the neuroscientists and neurobiologists were bringing to the table. And then the traditional healers uh, were talking about the uh, role that plant medicine can play in kind of bringing these two worlds together. But interestingly, absent from the conversation were traditional mental health uh, therapists, and in particular, psychiatrists. And uh, I'll, uh, I'll let Andrew pick up the story here, but I came back uh, from Peru very excited to talk to my friend uh, who also worked, we, you know, we worked together, so we were going to see each other on the first day of work, and I came back really excited. And frequently he and I would have a cup of coffee in the morning, and I, and I said, I've got this great thing to tell you uh, uh, about my experience in Peru. And I'm all excited thinking this is going to be great, and he's going to be blown away, except that he had as well. Yeah, no, that was a funny day, actually, because Chris was, of course, my boss at the time. And and then just give you a little back story. I got, uh, I had a bad drug addiction back in the 90s and late 80s, I guess, and, and got sober in 2001. And I'd gone through a traditional treatment route and actually spent five and a half months in rehab and I participated in 12-step groups and individual therapy and group therapy. and actually went back to university and studied addictions to, to work in the addiction field, which is how I ended up working at Chris's place. Um, but what was interesting for me is my first 10 years of recovery where I was fully abstinent, I lived a great life. You know, I ended up having kids, got married, not divorced, but, you know, my life changed without question. I can't say that my life wasn't 
you know, immensely better. But I wasn't fully healed. I was just abstinent. You know, I wasn't having the consequences of my drug use. Um, and I was leading a great life, but I don't, inside, I still didn't feel healed. And I guess around 2011, I was introduced to ayahuasca, actually went on a retreat with Gabor Mate um, to, to Yalapa, Mexico. I lived with the Sequoia Nation in Ecuador for several weeks, did some underground stuff in North America. And uh, all of a sudden, I felt a shift and, and, and things started to change for me. And, and but bluntly, you know, it's now got 12 years later. I, f- I feel like I've healed at least that part of myself. I'm not saying there's not lots of work to do on myself, but that part of myself I heal. Where my life now is way more fulfilling. And I and I attribute that to my experience with different plant medicines. And, and so that day when Chris was sitting in his office talking about an experience, you know, here I am. And I'm sort of the face of the company in, in the addiction world because I do a television show called Intervention on A&D and wow. intervening on addicts and 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 promoting sort of traditional treatment. And, um, and, you know, so do I tell them that I've been using psychedelics? Because this is going back sort of 2016. Yeah, I've been doing it for five, years. I'm going to lose my job because I'm using drugs. And well, yeah, it's a good question. Decided to risk it all and risk my job and say, well, actually, here's my experience with it. And, you know, obviously Chris was you know, open to hear all the healing that had happened for me. I had some you know, trauma as a child with, you know, you read between the lines with a teacher uh, when I was 11, you know, my best friend died in my, in high school. I was a decent athlete, broke my back playing sports. And, you know, so, you know, not, not huge traumas, but lots of stuff to work on. But those parts, you know, what, I, what psychedelics for me did was really just change the perspective of a lot of my trauma and allowed me to heal. And, uh, and I today end up living, you know, I have a great life. I cannot complain. And I attribute 90% of that to my experiences with psychedelics. You know, <laughs> that's what I started was that day, that kind of, even though we didn't realize it, that was sort of the foundation of, of that on that moment. Cause we left within a year. I left a couple months after you. Yeah. Um, and then all of a sudden we both found ourselves sort of back in the traditional treatment, not working for a big organization and got together and thought, Let's go change the world to some degree. Not I want to. I want to ask you something here, Andrew, because I mean, without going into too much detail, but I mean, and I think we had this brief, this con- previous conversation, because I mean, like, let's say in Europe, there's still the idea around you have an addiction, you go to a rehab, and then that basically that's it. That's still the storytelling. And um, I mean, even like in bigger cities here where I'm in Berlin, I feel like it's a very common problem that is kind of maybe it was always there and one didn't really see it that way. But um, I would say after the age of 40, people are really, you know, have this kind of recurring coming back to rehab kind of and going back to rehab a couple of times and every time it gets worse. So I would just be curious, what do you think, uh, would you talk about what you found out, what was actually maybe triggering you to, to look into self-medication before psychedelics? I didn't know any other way, to be honest, you know, and I started using well drugs and alcohols, you know, middle of high school, which is fairly common, you know, whether you have yeah, sure. trauma or not. Um, I just knew that when I used, I felt better. 
like the world made sense. I was able to, you know, I was a functioning cocaine addict, crack cocaine addict for six years. I never missed a day of work. And, you know, I took five companies public and, and had a, a pretty crazy life through my twenties. You know, I made too much money and, and got involved and went down the wrong path and it all blew up. But a lot of it had to do with the, the fact that I've been numbing myself since probably 14 or 15, uh, you know, started with, you know, started with alcohol and cannabis and, and then, you know, as most addictions, it, it got worse and worse over time. And, you know, eventually I'm smoking crack every day and, um, you know, but at the same time, still functioning. Like I actually told myself I could stop any time. Like I never miss work. I'm not missing out on things. Exactly. But I also worked in Vancouver, British Columbia, where we work from 6 a.m. to 2 p.m. because we work on New York time or Toronto time. So you're finished at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, go for lunch, have a bottle of wine. And, you know, I could party for seven to nine hours and still be in bed by 11. So um, it was it was a it was a was not a healthy life, let's put it that way. But, but Ann, you know, you mentioned people getting into their 40s and they've maybe already had one or two experiences with rehab. And in fact, this was the hardest part of uh, our job back when we were in the traditional treatment world because frequently, especially, you know, people would want to talk to the CEO, you know, what's going on. And, and frequently I'm explaining to families, loved ones, et cetera, why their loved one uh, has relapsed again or why they're treatment resistant. And of course, the truth of the treatment world is that um, we are forced to kind of round up when it comes to how well we've done, uh, how, how good our outcome numbers look. And both Andrew and I knew how challenging those results were. And we started to see people for the second, third, fourth time. And, you know, both of us come from a business background. Neither of us originally are clinical. Andrew's done clinical training. I, I, I pretend I can talk clinically. Um, but what, you know, he came, he came out of the financial world. I was a partner at Bain & Company. I was doing all sorts of things. Getting ourselves into treatment was... It, for me, it felt very fulfilling. You know, I'd had clients from all sorts of industries all over the world. Uh, most of the time, I didn't care what they were doing. Um, and then found myself in the treatment world. And it was a very, I felt like, gee, I'm, I'm helping people. And, and I can do that for a living. And it felt, it was a very fulfilling kind of thing. And until we came to realize that maybe, maybe we weren't doing as good a job as we really could. Andrew was really realizing this at a personal level, as he described. I kind of learned about it through the science and the, the coming together of, of uh, communities that wouldn't normally meet each other, scientists and, and, and traditional healers. And uh, we looked at each other one day and said, let's, let's, we can do this and we can do it better. And, uh, and that as Andrew said, that day that we first talked about it was really the beginning of Dimensions. And then it was a year, a little bit more than a year after that, that we started to plan, well, what can we do as an alternative? And how do we make that work? And that's where we are today. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to knock traditional treatment either, because I did change my life through traditional treatment. You know, it did take 
five and a half months in rehab. And then, you know, I did 257 days in a row of a 12 step program. And I saw a therapist every week. I'm participating in group and, you know, and there's a lot of part about uh, the traditional treatment model that still is involved in the psychedelic world. You know, community is very important, connecting with another addict and stuff like that. So um, there's a lot of great parts to traditional treatment. And and I don't want us to sit here and think that we're knocking traditional treatment. I just think we can do more. And when you brought up, you know, what about people keep going back? I guess to some degree, I think Dimensions is a perfect place for someone to go to traditional treatment for 30 days get stabilized, especially if they're physically dependent, because we're not doing a detox at Dimensions anyway. Uh, so to go to that and then have a little bit of time of sobriety, and then let's go a little bit deeper. And I think what we do at Dimensions allows a guest to go a little bit deeper than traditional treatment. Actually, I'd say a lot deeper than traditional treatment. Let's talk about how, how we got the idea also for our collaboration, because it has a lot to do with me coming with another person. <laughs> to <laughs> dimensions um, in December last year. And um, you guys invited me to do a cannabis retreat where I was like, oh, what is this going to be like? We had the same thought. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah. No, but I mean, and um, the interesting thing is, which also brings us to the collaboration, but I really want to first quickly talk about um, how this actually played out and what it, it really changed my, also my understanding and my attitude towards psychedelics. So first of all, um, you basically had an experience or one had an experience of a cannabis experience that was rather taking place or taking place in a ceremonial context with a lot of kind of, um, preparation before and integration afterwards. So basically the structure was a little bit like your to go to psychedelic retreat. But what was so interesting is that you didn't really have like, let's say this very strong magic mushrooms or ayahuasca or five MEO experience. It was rather a little bit of a, like a psychedelic preschool basically, where you would have an experience that would kind of very gently kind of show you how a psychedelic experience will would actually look like so this was one thing where i thought like wow this is interesting for people who i mean most people who've never done it are like oh how am i gonna feel am i gonna go crazy am i gonna throw up is that what this is like all these questions around it so and also it turned out because i had done a very high dose of psilocybin in last july it also turned out to be a very interesting um kind of modality to kind of enhance your integration a little bit without going immediately on a next kind of shocking high dose somewhere in Costa Rica, maybe. <laughs> so. I remember, and you sharing that with me and maybe both of us, but yeah, how it was, you know, like a half step down from a much more intense experience you'd had a few months earlier. Yeah. And yet there was some, you know, we're, we'll talk more about why we think dimensions is special, special beyond psychedelics or plant medicines in particular, but um, that it was, uh, it, it helped you from a processing perspective. Yeah, very much. Yeah. One of the main things was that I felt like how my somatic experience was also becoming a very, very important part for integration and just 
my body actually is sending me like right, like actually after the actual intake or experience or the trip after this, I had a lot of things happening in my body that I felt anxiety leaving my body in this Reiki session that you guys offered afterwards. So it was a very interesting experience in terms of, um, kind of looking into psychedelic cannabis, which makes a lot of sense to me now before I couldn't, I mean, all the, some people are like, well, this was always a thing, but now I really kind of started to understand it. So, and having said that, I think this is something that, um, we will work on also to bring this together. One is one of the things, but maybe one of the first things together to Europe, because I feel this is a really good introduction um, to make people be really not so terrified immediately of a very high dose of whatever it is. So, but yeah. Yeah. I, so, I mean, I'm, I'm going to let Andrew talk in a minute about kind of the cannabis side of it, uh, as, as a medicine, but this, this, this emerged, uh, for two reasons, one of which was very deliberate and the other of which maybe we were a little bit lucky. The deliberate part was, uh, I think one of the things that makes us distinct in the retreat world is we're founded on science. Uh, you know, we have a chief medical officer who is a neuroscientist and a neurosurgeon. Uh, we believe in the science. And, and in the first year of our existence, the, the obvious thing that we were doing was building our retreat. But the behind the scenes work that was going on was just as big an investment because we put together, we called it the dream lab, but it was a cross section of scientists, med, uh, you know, uh, medical doctors, PhDs, researchers, therapists, some of our team, et cetera. Nutritionists. Yeah, nutritionists, like try, trying to really establish a, a program, not just a ceremony, not just, you know, go down to... Costa Rica. I, I love Costa Rica, so I don't want to pick on it, but don't, don't just go to Costa Rica and do ecstatic dance. Like let's think through the kind of program that is going to really make a difference for people, people who have a clinical indication as well as those that don't. And, uh, and so we spent a lot of time and we have programs developed for psilocybin for ayahuasca. But one of the things that the team did which I think was the lucky, maybe in hindsight, the lucky part was we developed a program for cannabis because some of our senior team leaders said, this is a plant medicine, a, a legitimate plant medicine, and we should do this. And as most of the people in the world know, Canada uh, is, a, is a place where cannabis is legal, both clinically as, as well as recreationally. Um, so, uh, so that allowed us, because the legalization of psilocybin hasn't proceeded at the pace in Canada that people thought it would, nor has it in anywhere uh, in any part of the world. But it allowed us to start to get into the programming world and to show what we do and do it in a legal way, but also to the way we would suggest with any kind of plant medicine, use it with intent, use it with intentionality. And uh, that can be the start of a really phenomenal healing experience. But if you, if you take a recreational approach to it, I have nothing against that. You're just not going to get that kind of healing. So, yeah, no, I agree with that. I mean, it, it's been interesting. I, I don't think anyone's more surprised by the results that we are getting 
using cannabis than Chris and I, to be honest. Um, you know, we did not view it as as powerful as psilocybin or ayahuasca in terms of a psychedelic. Um, but it's been interesting. Yeah, I don't know if you know what the mystical scale is. And so we've been giving that uh, to every client or guest that comes through. I think out of 200 guests, we've only had one person that hasn't scored as a mystical experience, which I think the cutoff is 60. I think we've had one score below that, and the rest are all above 68 with a highest of 94 or something. Like, like some, some people are having the experience, which, to be quite honest, we didn't expect them to report that high. Um, so that's great. And the other great thing about using cannabis, especially for people that are you know, intimidated by the idea of, of the stronger psychedelics is that if you're having, you know, a bad trip or a difficult trip, we can actually bring you out of the experience in about five minutes. Um, where on psilocybin or ayahuasca, you're riding that trip out. Um, you know, we'll be, when we can use it, we'll be there to help you go through that difficult trip. And, I, you know, I always hate the, the term bad trip because what they're really saying is a difficult trip. You know, I think one in three people report a, a, a bad trip on psilocybin, meaning difficult trip, but 95% say it was a life-changing experience. And we're kind of having the same numbers in terms of life-changing experience from our guests. Um, you know, if we were to go on our Google reviews, I think, you know, one in 10 people kind of seem to be going on there and, and they're, they're talking about having life-changing experiences, which is amazing. You know, and I'm not talking about just there, weeks on, months afterwards. You know, we've had one person come back three times already um who is completely a different person and, and remember and we we haven't even officially opened yet so we had this idea that cannabis could be an alternative and then when things were slowing down in terms of legalization we started to started to use it and in fact um as andrew pointed out we've had these in, guests that have had incredible experiences we had uh an individual who i spoke with who happens to be a Canadian veteran who um, uh, had indicated that he'd used plant, you know, every kind of plant medicine in every part of the world. And when I spoke with him just after he completed his cannabis ceremony, he, I asked him how it was. And he said, that was the most impactful healing experience I've ever had. And uh, as Andrew said, nobody's more surprised than the two of us, but I went to our plant elder and said, um, what's going on? You know, we're pleased obviously, but what's going on? And he looked at me and this is a line that Andrew and I use a whole lot now. And I've used it. You and I have talked about it, Ann. Uh, and that is that it's not about the plant, you know, it's about the process. It's about, it's about opening up your mind and going through the process. And I think it's fair to say that that's a little bit of what you experienced but also what was interesting was when we met in Miami, cannabis was an interesting kind of connector for us because you were curious yeah. about it. There were things happening in Germany. Um, and that sort of started us down the path of what can we do here? And I said, let's the best way to start is for you to come and experience the dimension yeah. retreat. Well, and wouldn't you, wouldn't you, weren't you surprised by what happened to you having done other points? Absolutely. Because, I mean, I was like, in the beginning when we started the New Health Club, I was really like very German strict, like cannabis, psychedelics. <laughs> we can't combine these things. It's impossible. So, but, but the reason for that was 
because I myself, I had to admit, I still had this image in my mind of like smoking pot and have to eating Snickers afterwards and being fat suddenly with, you know, kind of this kind of old storytelling or people just like laughing the whole night. And it's like, oh, this is super annoying. Like, what's, what's so funny, actually? Like all these kind of regular cannabis experiences one had. But mm, I, I thought to me personally, the most interesting thing was this uh, experience that the day after the actual trip, which is mostly like the learning is everything happens in a trip and then you see things and then the day after you, you're back on a plane to America or something. But, um, so, but the day after this whole, um, let's say, um, taking my body more serious in terms of that he had to tell me stories, just my body, not like my brain. Oh, you've, I've seen this picture. I've seen that picture. So, and for me, the, the really most important moment was this Reiki session where I was experiencing a classic, really amazing Reiki session. And then just shortly before the session was over, I had like a five minute, really extreme anxiety. And I felt that was leaving my body. And I had like, I saw my grandfathers talking to each other. It was completely unexpected. And um, so, and this kind of really changed a lot of my, um, yeah, my attitude towards cannabis. And in general, I mean, I think the more and more that we, people we talk about, uh, talk to, and the more people we kind of engage with, I think it's becoming way more a, a, like a general meta discussion around how actually drugs are redefined into healing modalities. And just to be quickly say this, because it's a really, it's a strong discussion that's going on. What is actually, what would have happened if we wouldn't have had that kind of um, extreme stigmatization of substances in the last, I don't know, like maybe like uh, since 40 years so. But um, but but let's quickly come back to what I really want to talk also about your your scientific approach because this is leading to also to your engagement with the veteran community and also like um, maybe you can talk about what kind of let's say um, clinical trials or research would you like to kind of set up in the next coming years with your team? Yeah, so um, you know we do take pride in the fact that we're approaching this from a scientific perspective. Um, but as Andrew mentioned, when he was talking about us using the mystical scale, you know, I think we, this is a common debate right now as well, right? Can you benefit from, let's say, psilocybin if you remove the psychedelic experience? I think our view is, you know, even though we might discuss it's not about the plan, uh, for us, removing the psychedelic experience uh, it just seems like why why do that when there's such a mounting body of evidence that it works, you know? Um, but because we are coming from science, we're paying attention to those studies. And if that works, then then let's embrace it. Um, but I think I think that for for us, the we you know, the, it, it's a little bit different in the Western Hemisphere. You're on a north-south kind of axis, and that axis includes Central America, South America. And so 
the hippie side of psychedelics, the mystical side of psychedelics, we embrace in many ways. Um, but that, that almost dominated the conversation. And particularly when the business world jumped all over psychedelics, uh, in this part of the world, that was, that almost took over the conversation and our scientific approach was almost like looked down upon a little bit. Um, and I think what's happened is that, you know, it, 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 we've done lots of things wrong, but one of the things we did right as an organization was really embrace the science and build in not just a recognition that the program elements needed to be in place, but that that needed to be connected to the ethics of treatment, uh, the ethical use and the protocols that are necessary when you have people in your care, but also the, the neurobiology telling us that it starts in the body meant that building a comprehensive somatic aspect to our programming was critical to what happened. So in other words, we're getting people's body ready for the psychedelic experience. And of course, we know that there are things that like breath work where you can induce a psychedelic experience just by using your own body and your own physiology. Uh, and so I think all of these things have contributed to the positive experiences that we've been able uh, or that we've heard from our guests. But I think it also means that how, how we met Anne is that we've got, you know, we've got a, a new board member joining our organization soon who is deeply, deeply immersed in the science. Yeah. And she found us, she found dimensions and, and she said, you guys are doing it right. Uh, and, and, uh, and that is, that, that's a positive thing for us. And it did a whole bunch of things, including allow us to meet you. I mean, I, we spend a lot of time preparing for, for the, what could say, use the word ceremony, you know, whether it's the individual group therapy, you know, with your cohort of people coming on that retreat that starts before you arrive. So you have a sense of community. Once you arrive, you already know, you know, the guy, Chris, that you met online and you, you meet him the first day from, you know, and then we do, you know, the sound baths, you know, we've got uh, way too much money in sound bath stuff, but, uh, but it's effective. You know, Chris mentioned the breath work. We do that one night, sound bath another night. We've got float tanks, we've got biofeedback table, a chair, you know, Thai massage, Reiki, all these different things depending on, you know, the guests and, and their desires as well, preparing you for that five-hour ceremony. You know, and if you think about, you know, the, the animal kingdom, uh, I, I always use the example of a gazelle being chased by a, I don't know, the lion or tiger, but one, a, a big predator, you know, and they actually get away. Well, the only way they actually survive is they go find a secluded space in the, you know, in the woods somewhere, and they shake violently for five minutes. They, they go into a high vibration, releasing everything they just experienced so that the next time they get chased by the tiger or the lion, they can actually still run rather than freezing, right? And just that example in the kingdom is sort of what we're doing to some degree. We're really preparing the body, releasing as much as we can so that when you go in the ceremony, you're open. Um, you know, because I'm a big believer that what psychedelics do is facilitate change. You still have to do the work, right? You can't just lie there and go, oh, I'm on shrooms, cannabis, ayahuasca, and I'm going to trip out for five hours and I'm going to be healed. That's not how it works. It's fair to say that people who have experience with plant medicine, psychedelics, 
when they come to our retreat, the biggest surprise to them is all of the body work, all of the somatic work that we do. And, you know, there is a big body of literature, scientific and otherwise, trauma is stored in the body, right? The body keeps score, you know, however, however you want to describe it. And to a certain extent, that's the full circle, right? Is that we come back, the science, we, we come back to the science and the science is telling us that if you don't pay attention to the body, if you just think about from the neck up, then you're going to have unremarkable outcomes from your treatment. If you think in a more holistic way, uh, then then you're going to have outcomes that reflect the kind of preparation and work that Andrew's describing, but also this recognition that the entire body is involved. Yeah, and I mean, this is maybe a good moment to um, to talk about our collaboration. Also, you guys coming like we like a co-creation, let's call it, in Europe. You're going to be joining the Dimensions Advisory Board, and that's going to happen in April. So by the time people hear this, that that should yes. already be official. But I, but, I, but I think kind of what's, what's so important about it is that we got introduced. We started to spend time like this. Then we got time face-to-face -face in Miami, and that to me was critically important. It allowed us to share with you what was going you know what we were doing with cannabis and and that would maybe was a new piece of the puzzle for you and then for sure we wanted to as an organization despite our success with cannabis we want to make sure that we are demonstrating that we're working with psychedelics as well and you kind of opened up our eyes as to what was happening in europe uh and we've recently seen some people leaving the European uh, space, but opening up that European uh, world for us and recognizing that there, there's professional talent that thinks like us, thinks scientifically, uh, but also there's people who can build awareness and, and are professionals at communicating and so on. And, and it, what it meant for us was, I talked about that north-south axis, uh, you know, mm -hmm. what it meant for us was The, the axis that started to resonate as you and I spent more and more time together in Europe, I realized that the, the axis that started to resonate was more east-west, that within the European community, uh, certainly in the investor community, but also the scientific community, but also those who are interested in retreats, uh, the, the deep roots of science that we put forward were very important to them. In other words, You know, certainly on the investor side, if you weren't coming from a place of science, they almost didn't want to talk to you. And uh, and then we met with clinical individuals in Europe. They've since been speaking to our clinical team, you know, and there's a real common bond in the approach, the background, the training that they have and so on. So the opportunity for us to come and participate in in retreats in Europe to work with the new health club and be able to do that. I mean, we, we, we know how to run retreats and we've got a strong clinical team and then being able to uh, meet with you and get to know the new health club and your organization, your ability to communicate that and to uh, talk to people who are interested in retreats, combine that with clinical individuals that you knew in Europe. And it started to become very clear that there was a good way for us to begin to work together.
Yeah, and and let me let me ask you something um, because I mean my feeling is always that people in Canada are kind of that the major population is really I'm always want to say accustomed to cannabis and psych- like mushrooms and just the idea around psychedelic um, modalities, not even maybe not even therapy, but just yeah, as a new tool of healing and. The interesting situation in Europe right now, as you mentioned, is that there's a lot of change going on with retreats falling apart or just closing down. So, but at the same time, the need or the interest of, let's say, customers, meaning people who are not necessarily diagnosed with a severe mental health illness, but who are kind of looking into things or kind of not really being able to resolve certain questions in the back of their minds or like bigger life questions. There's a really kind of movement happening now where people, I would say, especially between 35 and maybe mid forties really want to look into psychedelics as a modern tool kind of. As a catalyst to change. Yeah, it's a kind of a change, but also, and and this is something that that we talk about a lot in a Western container. And of course, that's exactly the thing that a lot of people from a psychedelic context would criticize, that the Western container is kind of appropriation. But at the same time, it also needs to be adjusted to cosmologies that are actually working. So um, my question to you would be, if you come to Europe, we collaborate on retreats, which we will. So what, what is for you important to, let's say, bring from an experience um, with you from Canada, which is obviously a very, very fast forward thinking country in, in this, in this yeah, context? I, you know, I think first and foremost is our programming and our pro- programming model. Um, as our clinical team talked to the European clinical team, uh, the somatic work that we did, for example, they were very impressed with, uh, but it was something that they hadn't yet sort of been thinking about integrating into, into their approach. So the ability for us to collaborate, not just because it makes sense business-wise, but also our clinical teams to collaborate. Um, you know, I think, I think we bring something to the table that it's not like it's not, uh, present elsewhere in the world, but, maybe we're a little bit evolved down that path. Um, But I'm glad that you use the phrase Western container because uh, I remember reading Michael Pollan wrote an article in the New York Times a couple of years ago where he said, look, if, if, if we in the West want to do, there's nothing wrong with us doing retreats, engaging in ceremony, uh, but let's do it within a uniquely Western container. And in fact, we took that to heart a little bit mm-hmm. as, as a guide, if you will. Uh, and our retreats, while, um, you know, kind of recognizing the benefits, the mystical benefits of the ceremonial process, we're, we're saying, let's bring science into the mix. And the impression that certainly I've got in talking to you, but also spending time in Europe is that it is that Western container that will be successful in a European context as well. And, and I, again, I try to point out the contrast to if we go south, if we go north from north to south, 
when you get down to Costa Rica and so on, there isn't this same sort of idea that, you know, you've, you've kind of got rich white, white folks running um, what are traditional kind of ceremonial models. And uh, what, what we've done is like try and pull the best parts of that, but make it uniquely Western. And, and I hope that when you had your experience with us, you could feel that there, this, this was familiar and yet there were differences. Yeah, I mean, it was also in, in this, I mean, the, the Algonquin Heights are, as you mentioned, um, formally kind of, yeah, kind of visited by um, indigenous peoples once they were looking into ceremonies. And then also um, I felt like it was a very interesting combination of, of course, I mean, a very important of, of nature, of having kind of a diverse team and I mean, it's so interesting that this is still very important, I think, but I think it's even more interesting to emphasize that every culture already had also their psychedelic um, base. I mean, you could see like the, the Greek culture. Um, yeah, well, yeah, like where the European democracy is based on Greek philosophy, on Greek politics, all kind of, as we know now, because of Brian Muraresco's book, for example, that basically uh, Socrates and, and Plato went out of this out of the city uh, for a party mushroom night and then they came back into the city and wrote their most important work. So, and I think this is also something to me that's really important to to really find. Okay, so there are several cultures who had already like six five six thousand years ago a very specific experience around this. And, um, or kind of not even experience, kind of, it was the, the foundation often of thought patterns of, um, I don't know, political programs, even like democracy, for example. So, and, um, I was wondering, so if, if you, let's say if we come, if you guys come to Europe and we are planning to have a, open a couple of retreats, like also in um, in Germany with cannabis when the time is right and, and um, in Israel and Switzerland, maybe. So how would you maybe, I mean, that's a little bit out of our protocol, but I think it's an interesting question in this context. How would you actually try to adjust to the, to the different cultures, let's say, where you actually, you know, open the, or where we will open the retreats. I think it's an interesting question to, to talk about. Yeah. I mean, you know, you and I have spoken a lot about cultural sensitivity in yeah. ceremony, in retreat, and being able to do that in your own language and how important that is. Um, I mean, let me let me just make one final point on the indigenous origins here. At that at that uh, conference. Um, conference that I went to years ago, there was this very interesting moment where you know the, the the western scientists had been bending over backwards to not be seen to be appropriating whether it's scientifically or culturally uh they were trying to be you know particularly sensitive and at one point a shaman um stood up and uh he he, he wasn't 100 fluent in english but he was speaking in english uh but basically said you you people need to cut it out we're here to spread the word. We don't want the plant medicine is something that should, should be available to the world. 
we don't want it to die out. In fact, you know, Western, the Western world, if you keep marginalizing indigenous communities, you're going to find that the knowledge of plant medicine is going to go away as well. We want the word to be spread and we're pleased that we're coming together this way. But what, but what they said, what, the, what this individual said was just do us a favor or do me a favor. Don't put me out of a job. And mm-hmm. I think that that's also a lesson that we've kind of taken into the way that we are trying to build this Western container. Uh, there's an aspect of it to it, which, uh, which says, do we really need, even though we're wedded to the science, does that mean that we need to go and identify and, and synthesize a molecule and go big pharma and go big agriculture and so on? You know, we could have, that's a, that's a debate. Way. Yeah. The, the Western way, that's a debate maybe for another time. Um, but, but I think we need to recognize, and Andrew, Andrew actually heads up how we connect to the indigenous world in Canada. Uh, you know, we need, we need to make sure that as we come to Europe, we don't lose the spiritual element of what we're doing as much as yes. we're connected to the science. We need to bring that spirituality to what we're doing because that's to us as much of the process as the science is. Yeah, no, I think about what we do at Dimensions and how we run ceremony. You know, anyone that's participating as a facilitator or leader, we use the word plant elder, is using their own lineage in that ceremony. Uh, I think we have to remember that, you know, every culture has, has used ceremony at some point in their lives. You know, and and we're bringing out, you know, if I think about Donald, uh, you know, our, our clinical director and, you know, his lineage is, you know, European white and stuff, but he's, you know, traced back and looked at different rituals and stuff that his ancestors used to use and is bringing that into ceremony, uh, which I think is, is magical, actually. You know, if I think about our relationships with Indigenous people in our area uh, and in the land that we're on, you know, we have uh, an elder join us for our, our opening who's been involved for well, pretty much since the beginning, a fantastic uh, a woman. We were just approached this week, actually, by uh, another elder in the community who's heard about what we're doing, um, you know, obviously went and read our land acknowledgement and stuff, was impressed by that. Uh, recognizes that we're giving a percentage of our revenue back to the indigenous community of whatever area that we are in so that our hearts are in the right place. And he's coming and, and now wants to build a sweat lodge up at Dimensions. And, you know, of course, I said that that's fantastic, except for only indigenous people then will run that sweat lodge. Like that's part of their heritage, their culture. Yeah. Yeah, it's not going to be Andrew, old white guy that's going to run some sweat lodge. We'll bring in members of his community to run the sweat lodge. If they can't do it, we don't run a sweat lodge that weekend. So you know, we're certainly uh, you know trying to be involved in the indigenous committee as much as we can wherever we are. But I, but I think you know it, this conversation makes me think about uh, what is it that the indigenous community brings. It reminds us of the importance of community to healing. And I think about a little thing and that happened between you and I, uh, a few weeks ago, we're chatting about, uh, could we run a retreat for Ukrainian people? Yeah. Mm-hmm. that are struggling with obviously with what's going on in their country. Could we run a retreat for them? It, and, and to the point we touched on earlier, 
you'd love to be able to run that retreat in their own language. And you and I are chatting and, and you said, gee, I've been talking to this person who in Ukraine, who's, who's doing this sort of thing. And, uh, and you mentioned dimensions and he said, dimensions, wait a minute. I know dimensions. Uh, I've been talking to somebody, uh, who's originally from Ukraine, who's been talking to the clinical director, uh, in okay. Oklahoma Highlands. And, and then I said, wow. So I called Donald and, uh, lo and behold, he's been talking to a person who has lineage, who does uh, plant elder work, but is Ukrainian and can speak Ukraine. Yeah, so here, here's here's community coming in and telling us and showing us, hey, maybe that person could lead a retreat, ensure that it's in their own language, you know, and, and, and there we've got a connection between Canada and Ukraine. There's lots of uh, Ukrainian expats in, in Canada, that's for sure. But I just thought, you know, that was the universe kind of bringing us together in an interesting way that would allow us to do something in Europe that maybe without that connection, we you wouldn't have been able to do quite so easily. Yeah. And I think like um, this, I mean, we, we kind of already announced that we will collaborate with the Ukrainian Psychedelic Association at one point um, with Yuri Blokin, who also is in Toronto, I think. Um, but I mean... Maybe we can take this topic to talk a little bit about what's just happening in the psychedelic industry, because my feeling is that the ideas around, let's say, connecting psychedelic therapy or, or like community healing to bigger topics in society, like a country like the Ukraine that's traumatized. And if we listen to how China is bonding with Russia, this topic is not going to be over like in two days. So the whole kind of world, if you want, is kind of, will be affected by these kind of in the next years by, by, by the situation that we're having now. So, but, um, I feel this is becoming more. And, um, at the same time, of course, we're experiencing right now, like a moment of restructuring. I mean, some companies are struggling. That's really sad to see sometimes companies that have built a very strong kind of model around retreats and things. And, um, so, and it feels kind of, you know, like it feels like a step forward, but also it feels um, that it's also sad to see in a way that things that, wow, kicked off like two years ago with a lot of energy. So, so how would you say is your perspective on how should one navigate right now as a company in a psychedelic space? Well, I think, you know, I have to say to start, I mentioned kind of part of my background and part of Andrew's background. Uh, there was a recent article that, that I know, and you read as well, that talked about, well, there, this was inevitable. It's just like the dot-com. It's just like uh, crypto and so on. There, there is a certain truth to that in the sense that uh, a new emerging industry attracts a whole lot of people, a whole lot of dollars, and a whole lot of energy. And because of the way the industrial side of this works, if you will, a lot of people are just throwing anything up against the wall to hope that it'll stick. Uh, and I'm not pointing at anybody in particular, but there's a certain inevitability to a lot of enthusiasm, a lot of companies being formed, 
and then a shakeout to occur. And, and in the psychedelic world, because legalization didn't occur quite as quickly, that meant that that shakeout maybe came a little faster than people were expecting. Uh, but I think, you know, the, the, the origins of dimensions were kind of, you know, we weren't very sexy at the beginning. We're in the retreat business. We're building uh, our retreat. We're building beautiful cabins. We're, we're, uh, we have a dream lab that's putting together our program. Um, you know, we, we spent a lot of time negotiating with the community that we're in because psychedelics in that community, you know, it's a small town. And so we needed to really navigate and become part of that community and reach out. Um, we didn't think that the psychedelic industry was this brand new model that's going to change the world, right? Uh, and you and I and Andrew and, uh, have been to conferences where there's a lot of people in the, you know, in the psychedelic industry that are talking, and they're still talking about how psychedelics is just going to fundamentally change the world. Maybe it will, but uh, right now we're just building a business, and we're trying to make sure that we're able to deliver what we said we're going to deliver. We're not running to the most favorable regulatory regime every time that changes. Uh, we're in Ontario, in Canada, where, yeah, maybe we were hopeful that because cannabis had been legalized, that psilocybin might be legalized fairly rapidly. And it's been proceeding at a much more deliberate pace. And, you know, if we, if we believe in the science the way that we say that we do, then we've got to respect that process. Um, so, you know, I think, I think for us, I mean, to, to run the risk of jumping on another old business cliche, we've said, this is what we're going to do. And in a very unsexy way, we've just gone about doing it. You know, we've now had over 20 retreats, um, in Algonquin Highlands. And, uh, and by the way, we're giving a lot of those retreats away for free because we wanted, we thought it was the best way to get the word out was to have people that have had maybe other retreat experiences to come and, 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 uh, and uh, see it for themselves. So we, I guess my view is just do good business and don't throw away all of the good parts of, you know, what you've learned about building a solid business uh, and, um, you know, and, and stick to fundamentals. Yeah, stick, stick to the fundamentals. By the way, that doesn't mean that we haven't been lucky along the way. It doesn't mean that we haven't had to pivot from one place to the other. There came a point where it was clear that psilocybin was not on the horizon the way that we thought it would. We shifted to cannabis, but the part of the story we haven't told really was we were starting to meet with Canadian veterans because they, like they were with cannabis, are leaders in the advocating for uh, psychedelic plant medicine. Uh, so we started to meet with veterans. This is back, you know, we hadn't even, we weren't even a year old as a company and we were meeting with veterans and talking to them. They said to us, you know, if you can't do psychedelics yet, you know, veterans are significant cannabis consumers. The legalization of cannabis in this country started with medical cannabis for veterans. Uh, they said, have you ever considered doing this? As I mentioned earlier, fortunately, we developed a program to do that. But all of a sudden, we realized we've got a business opportunity here that aligns with our core values. 
and that is that veterans of all of the parts of our population that deserve to get the kind of care and the kind of healing that they deserve, veterans are going to be close to the top of the list. Let's listen to what they're saying. Let's build something that will allow us to survive and stick to the fundamentals, as Andrew said, but also allow us to meet a need. And then we can kind of move from there as access to plant medicines increases. So I guess our view would be, you know, both of us fortunately have been in the business world for a long time. And there are certain fundamentals that if you don't pay attention to them, you're just going to be in trouble. And it, it doesn't matter whether it's a, it's the earth changing, uh, the universe changing world of psychedelics or whether it's some other new yeah. flavor of the month. And psychedelics aren't going anywhere. You know, I mean, you mentioned the internet bubble, you know, and they actually said, Oh, the internet's a passing fad back in the nineties. You know, yeah. I don't see pet.com around anymore, but the internet's being used pretty widely these days. You know, you brought up crypto. <laughs> I'm a big believer in crypto. Yes. It's come back a little bit, but you know, I mean, it's an emerging field. Any emerging field is going to have, you know, guys come out of the blocks quickly, raise a lot of money, and and fail ultimately. Dot um, com is a great example. I mean, ninety five percent of the companies that were around that were started back then are no longer in existence, and yet that's when Google started and Facebook. You know, they they go back twenty years. Um, so these giants. So you know, it's one thing to say, oh, it, just like the dot com era, all these companies are failing. Well. Don't forget that a lot of companies from the dot-com era are now giants in the industry. And if we couldn't be having this interview and with, with each other if it wasn't for things yeah. that happened back 20 years ago. So Andrew's right. Psychedelics are here to stay, but it's going to be choppy waters still for quite some time. One thing that I find always fascinating and that we also kind of, will be a topic once we collaborate in Europe is that, I mean, this whole moment when you would have to make the decision between, um, wellness applications and clinical applications. So, and, um, of course there is already like kind of a clear picture, like people suffering from a severe already diagnosed mental mental illness who are also trying to get in clinical trials and it's very difficult sometimes to do this. And then, like we said earlier, like this, what we will be offering is rather be, will be rather for, um, you could call it wellness applications, but you could also like, let's say like customers. There's still not really a good expression for this because I think that a lot of people starting to look into these treatments um, and maybe just a classic psilocybin truffles retreat in the Netherlands much earlier because they already see or allow themselves to look, to feel that the thing that they would like to work on eventually will turn into a maybe severe depression or it kind of, I have this conversation often with people who are interested in retreats They say, well, I have this thing that I'm thinking about for so long, but I want to look into it now because I don't think it's getting better. Or like, or even like, a, for example, like some chronic pain even involved in this kind of discussion. So, um, and 
meaning, what I mean by that is that I feel that there's a strong aspect of like, um, you could say like a um, prevention for mental health diseases. There's at least something that is my theory that if you look into um, a really good psychedelic experience or therapy, rather on the earlier side, you will be able to prevent stronger or stricter medical problems. Also like um, maybe treatment resistant depression, um, which also even borders on the idea of longevity because your brain will be a different brain than if you've never done psychedelics. So what is your take on psychedelics as a preventional tool for the future? Well, I think you'd find that your theory <laughs> that it's uh, <laughs> a good preventative tool, I think you'd find that we agree. One of, one of my favorite testimonials is from somebody who came to retreat back in August. So we were still, I mean, we were still sweeping floors, hoping that people didn't, you know, uh, stumble us. <laughs> you know. uh, so we were very early days, but his experience, he said, this was kind of a life altering experience. But then he said, I'm going to build this into my annual mental wellness regimen. Yeah. And, um, you know, so, so now that <laughs> somebody might say that's good business for you guys, because you've got repeat customers. Uh, by the way, we've trained our entire staff to refer to everybody, no matter their clinical um, status or otherwise as guests to destigmatize patients and clients, other terms that are used in the medical world. But, um, you know, look, we, we are, as you know, uh, we are disciples to a certain extent of Gabor Mate. He, you're joining him on our, our advisory board. Um, Dimensions sponsored his, a book launch for him in, in, in Toronto back in October mm -hmm. and listening to him speak, you know, you, you, you do kind of understand that we've all experienced trauma. There are those whose, whose exposure to, you know, whose traumatic experiences have been such that it really gets in the way of a healthy life. Maybe they've got severe anxiety. Maybe they've got PTSD. Maybe there is a clinical indication that you can identify, but you know, what about all those other people for whom, it's not as debilitating, but, you know, it may be in the future or maybe they've got, uh, you know, associated physical ailments where it's kind of showing up um, and, uh, and, and they're not aware of it as a mental health issue. Um, you know, and, and we've had, we've been, we've had, we've had the good fortune, but also the honor of being able to establish uh, programs that would suit both of those communities. So most of the guests that have come through our uh, our retreat center have been attending what's called our Ascend program, which is a, a wellness self betterment focused self betterment kind of a retreat. Uh, we we're hoping that we will very soon be able to announce that we're able to treat Canadian veterans. Uh, they'll be participating in what's called an elevate retreat, which is a little bit more clinically oriented and recognizes uh, for those that have a clinical indication, 
that that it's a it, you know it's a different emphasis that the program is longer, et cetera, et cetera. Um, in the future, maybe those are distinct locations for the time being. They're in they're under one roof, but I believe that there are people that have an illness today that we can help, and I believe that there are people for whom you know, for whom we can help that are doing it for pre predominantly preventative reasons. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, okay. if you think about it too, in terms of just speaking about the psychedelics in, in general, I don't think the researchers, you know, we don't fully understand exactly what's happening yet. You know, are we resetting the brain by altering neurotransmitter levels? You know, is that what's happening? Or are we just introducing a mystical experience and people are gaining a new perspective on life? Is that what's happening? Uh, are we introducing a new way of thinking? Is that what's changing? Is there suggestibility under psychedelics? Is that what's happening? You know, there's a variety of different things that are going in, you know, that are sort of at play here right now. Um, all I know is that people that seem to be experienced or have an experience with psychedelics are reporting change, not just at dimensions, everywhere around the world are reporting a fundamental change within, you know, on their way, outlook on life, on their outlook on themselves, on the look of those around them, of the world. Well, when that happens, you know, we have significant changes in our life too. So, um, I'm a big believer that, you know, as we do more and more research, we're going to have, you know, the results are going to show that this is the new path forward for, for the West. The, the, the indigenous people have been using it for thousands of years. You know, you go down to South America and the poorest village of the, of the poor and everyone's smiling and laughing and, you know, they're doing something right. You know, uh, in terms of their overall mental health and, and, and the way they've seen it. You know. You know, I go to my schoolyard and the kids are arguing, you know, on whose turn it is for God's sake. I mean, there's something that it's, it's interesting you say that because there's something I keep thinking about, like uh, that I always thought about when I went to mostly truffle retreats in the Netherlands so far besides dimensions. So, um, and there are often like one or two people at the end of the retreat who had had a profound experience um, and just starting to understand things. And then some of them have to go back home into a not existing, I mean, it, there's no community waiting for them. Maybe not even like a, a husband or wife or like a family. Um, and to me, this is becoming really such a, I mean, more important topic than in the beginning when, when I, started to engage in psychedelic therapy by myself um, <clears throat> because the moment I think you basically get home, I mean, there's a whole bunch of changes waiting for you if you like it or not, because your system is not adjusting anymore, almost sometimes automatically to groups of friends, um, maybe to even your romantic partner, to your work. So suddenly some, some things are kind of disconnected or not working anymore. The way you could eventually just always go into the same model of reaction. So what is your take on, or what is your idea around how this can be actually be, I'm not going to say be solved because it's, it's kind of hard to really solve it, but it's really something I keep thinking about the last year um, because I saw this a couple of times, you know, that the one person in your group where like, oh, if this person's going home now, 
and they're really shaken by the experience. And obviously they talk about that they don't, you know, have like a big family, maybe not even a small family. So what do you think around this, let's say also challenge that the, the post retreat challenge, let's call it that way. Yeah. So we're, we were doing a couple of things. So once at dimensions, when you leave retreat, you're still involved in the community in the sense of your cohort that was there for that four days or 10 days, whatever yeah. it was, stays connected through group work. And what's been interesting too, is um, the group seem to be forming their own little group sort of separate from us, you know, through WhatsApp or something like that, and are all communicating. Like they, they really developed a strong bond during the retreat and are all there for each other, you know, sort of in between the weekly uh, group session at the Three Dimensions and are staying connected, which is really part of our goal was to really try and build a community. You know, we're in the process right now of building an app to be able to do that where they can, and you can access it all through our web, Uh, if you come to our, our facility, you know, of, of meditations, different talks, you know, our, our clinicians are available, if, you know, if you're, especially if you're in crisis, just to be re reach out separate from the individual and group therapy, because we do really believe it's important that people don't feel disconnected when they, you know, that they have that connection, not only the dimensions, and the, but to our clinicians and And, and anyone that's involved with events. We are kind of a family. We like the idea of it being a family, you know, atmosphere uh, when you leave. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's good. Those groups seem to be forming more often than not, actually. We've actually had to tell our clinicians not to join the groups because they ended up <laughs> so much, you know, being involved in stuff and people were talking and, and stuff and, and keep it just to, into our groups, and, which people are attending regularly, which is amazing. Um, yeah, I, I, but you you know you point out something, Anne, that is uh, I think speaks to what the future part of what the future of psychedelics uh, is is going to need, and that is sometimes we think we're not in the retreat business; we're actually in the psychedelic assisted therapy business. I'm not sure those two things are distinct. Uh, we happen to think. You know, there's, there's all the uh, psychedelic phrases like set and setting. We do happy to happen to believe those. We think coming to our uh, retreat center is, is a good idea. But I think the more we can train psychedelic-assisted therapists uh, to operate outside of a retreat setting so that there's resources available to individuals when they go home. You're quite right. People have, I mean, you had very life-altering experiences when you yeah, and got on planes and was terrified. Yeah. Actually. Um, so, you know, people, and, and, and so part of our, in our little world, talk about industries where most companies now are failing the app world. We do want to create an app that is, is about the glue of the community that comes to us, whether it's the retreat that you attend in or, or whether it's the broader community. Um, but I think, You know, what's what's happening in the psychedelic world right now, this, what we're doing, is a mechanism to assist people when they've gone home after retreat and they feel um, something has changed. And, and whether that's with their partner, whether it's at work, you know, something has changed. Where can they go? What resources are available? Well, maybe they can listen to something like this and hear a bit more about it. Maybe they can, maybe there's things to read. So the All of that stuff is building up around this industry. 
but none so important, uh, I think, we think, as training of psychedelic-assisted therapists so that they're out there in the world. And, and for us, that, you know, from a, from a therapeutic, from a professional therapeutic perspective, that's the most important part of this industry, if you will. You did touch on one thing I just want to make, like, you know, we won't go into it a lot, but I am a big believer in the second setting and how important that is. I think being involved in nature, out in the woods, and yes, you're in a you know, luxurious cabin of dimensions, but you are on 50 acres of, you know, waterfront property. It's beautiful. I'm not a believer that we're supposed to be doing psychedelics in a downtown city in a, on a 23rd floor with a blindfold and a tape recorder spend four hours there and then put my shoes back on and get on the subway and go home. Um, you know, that's the opposite we've, of what we've had two separate, um, friends of dimensions. Uh, they happen to be shareholders, but friends of dimensions who've, who've done ketamine treatment, uh, downtown Toronto. And they're kind of, you know, they come out of their experience and, and, um, they're a bit bewildered. They don't quite know what to do. They talk to the nurse or to the therapist and, and they're not getting a lot of support. And then, um, in both of those instances, they've reached out to us. Now, fortunately, our clinical director, Donald is so effective that we were able to get some help for these individuals and they may have been, you know, kind of bad trip, uh, experiences, but in the general sense of the word, it's the community reaching out to support people because these experiences can be profound, but they can also be before you go through your integration process, they can be troubling from time to time. Uh, some of the data shows that there's a lot of people that say, Ooh, I don't, you know, the day after a ceremony, they say that they don't want to do it. And then a month later they have corrected themselves and said, yes, I will like to do that again. Cause I see how it works. Uh, so we even um, shifted, uh, you know, through our, our process in the last eight months of doing sort of beta retreats, we've actually even shifted our program based on the feedback and doing a ceremony a day earlier, uh, just to make sure there's enough time and enough connection post ceremony for integration <laughs> and building that foundation so that you can go home and you feel safe and supported. Yeah. I think set and setting is, is essential to what we do. So I, I want to, I want to echo what, what Andrew said, but also, you know, to pick up on another observation Andrew had, there was a, a retreat early on last year where two or three groups came uh, as, as little groups that wanted to bond and spend time together. They were close friends and so on. And they were almost yeah. like, Oh, I don't want to hang out with you. I don't want to hang out with you. We, we got our own thing going. And, uh, the, I, I remember being there on the day that they were going home and everybody was trading email addresses and phone numbers and, and, and they were so the first ones to do that. What's up? Yeah. Um, and so, uh, often the people that you share your experience with people that maybe you wouldn't, you know, your circles don't collide uh, out in the real world. Uh, those are the people that you can stay in touch with and they become your support system. Mm. So, that's true. Yeah. And often, oftentimes it's very unlikely you would have met them otherwise. <laughs> That's right. Yes. Yeah. I feel anyway, like after psychedelics, you've, you kind of meet people that are sometimes the least likely people that you would normally like before would engage with. 
or people. And I just had this yesterday. I was talking on the phone with an old colleague from journalism days and I was always like, oh, she's so annoying. And like, like she was so bitchy and blah, blah. So, and then she called me because of, she wanted to ask me something. She's in a PR now. And then she said to me, well, back then when we worked together, it was so hard. And I was really, I couldn't almost take it anymore. And we had a completely different conversation. Um, so the, 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 the idea of the person I had back then was a completely different idea I have now of her without becoming, you know, we don't have to become best friends, but it was a very interesting moment where I was like, ah, oh, should I take a call? And I was like, well, why not? Like, we know each other. So, and this is something that is, I think, um, it's kind of an irreversible thing that's happening to you. And I think people should know that they can't go back to, <laughs> they can't go back to, um, to, even if you, and I find it so interesting, sometimes I even try to go back to other things and it doesn't, then I don't feel anything. And I'm like, okay, when you don't feel anything, you don't have to go back to this old thing. It's a very subtle integration in your daily life also. But I wanted to know also, um, what is your, that not expectation, but what is your idea around us working together in Europe? So what, what is your expectation? What are you looking forward to? <laughs> well, uh, you know, when we started Dimensions, it was not our vision to uh, open up a quaint single retreat in Algonquin Highlands in Ontario. Um, we, we had fairly lofty ambitions. Uh, some days we'd say that we're disrupting the addiction and mental health world. Other days we'd focus more on the wellness side. But, but you know, we'd like to think there's going to be 10 dimensions one day or 20 dimensions one day. And as I said earlier, it could be that the axis is more east-west uh, than it is north-south. I think at the beginning, we would have thought more north-south. I mean, our, our original first destination was in Mexico, not in Canada. Oh, okay. The the pandemic kind of got in the way of that plan. But, kind of. <laughs> yeah. but, uh, but you know, so... I, you know, I, I sometimes feel America is the wild card because, you know, it's, it can be the pot of gold at, at the end of a lot of business rainbows, but, um, uh, but I certainly feel a greater kinship, if you will, around our approach to psychedelics in Europe than I do in Central or South America. So, you know, speaking to the people, some of the people that we met with, whether it was clinically or whether it was on the business side, and I felt like, oh, this could, this could work quite well. Um, and, and again, it goes back to something I said earlier around kind of the, the frame of mind of the typical European as it relates to psychedelics, you know, there was a big boom and then a big bust. And, and in Europe, that that didn't, it wasn't quite as dramatic. And, and so, uh, anyway, that's a long answer to your question. I view your, we, we, I guess we view Europe as a source of growth every bit as much as we do North America. But I also think it's the relationship we have with you and like my, yeah. my experience in Miami participating in one of your workshops, I don't know if you know, or not, yeah. um, you know, afterwards is, you know, we need to work with this person. Yeah. She gets it. Yeah. Um, you know, so I mean, that was a big turning point for me. 
you know. Well, and it also goes back into something I said a moment ago, which you asked about, you know, our approach, and we've just stuck to good business principles, right? So if Dimensions tried to enter Europe, right, we might have a good program under our arm, but we don't have the professionals to deliver it, and we don't have the business development and communication capability to let people know we're here. We're still a small company. So meeting you has meant that we've got to know that professional side, and now we've got an ability to grow that. But also through the new health club, we've got the ability to tell people about our arrival and to indicate that we're working together to build something in Europe that hopefully has all of the kind of the science and other core elements that are important to dimensions, but you know, also has European participation in it so that we're not dumb Canadians coming to Europe any more than we're dumb Canadians going to Mexico, if you know what I mean. So, uh, so I, Andrew's absolutely right, is that we, we feel like we've got good partners and that, that's a rare commodity. So uh, it's, it's important to explore that because that's the way good businesses are growing. I mean, um, this is going to be like, I mean, the, 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 since the last couple of months where things have changed so much, like it's, it's kind of, I feel like it's almost like a, like a worldwide reset in, in the psychedelic world. It's funny because An Andrew was saying before, you know, we're, we're still not settled on kind of what's going on in the brain. I think one thing we are settled on though, is that plant medicine somehow uh, facilitates a reset of some kind, right? Um, and people describe it as profound or, you know, however they describe it, there is a reset going on. And maybe the whole psychedelic world needed a reset um, to, to allow that, you know, the shakeout or whatever you want to call it to occur uh, to identify what models are the models that are making sense. Um, you know, so maybe, maybe it's, you know, and, and you and I have spoken about this and again, I don't want to poke at any other organization, but there, there may be white space that exists in Europe that we didn't think was there. And yeah, it's just good business for us to explore that, to see what that, what potential that holds for us working together. What effect has your collaboration with Queen's University? You know, that, that was a decision we made pretty much right at the start. I mean, we obviously want to support uh, the industry, and we think research is, you know, at the forefront of that. Doing research is extremely expensive. <laughs> and so as a company, we were like, this is not something we want to do in-house. So let's try and find and build a relationship with somebody or an organization that um, could, that would do the research and we would benefit from the research or the industry would benefit from the, the research. And Queen's University, which is a prominent university in Canada, um, actually has a psychedelic lab and, and stuff like that and formulated. So we approached them. One of the members of our Dream Lab team that we had mentioned earlier was a professor there uh, completed, and also completed his PhD in psychedelics, Dr. Ronald Shore now. Uh, who, who 
did the Dream Lab team was there. So it just seemed like a natural fit. And that's where we met actually our chief medical officer, who's a neurosurgeon, Dr. DJ Cook. So we had two people sort of that were a part of the planning process already at Queens University. And then um, I'm forgetting her name, Jane Philpott, who used to be the Canada's health minister, is now the chair of the health sciences department there. So another good fit because she did a lot of work with Health Canada when cannabis went through. Uh, or was legalized. So we thought this was a perfect opportunity uh, to connect with a world-renowned university to actually do research. So we've committed a million dollars to them, um, and they formed the Dimensions Collaborative, Dimensions Health Collaborative for Research of Psychedelics at Queen's University. Yeah, it's, long a, it's, it's academic, right? So the title's a very long, very long name. name. <laughs> you know, and I guess we're coming up on our third year now that we uh, going into our second, yeah, we'll we'll go from second to third. Right, going into our third year, and and they're just you know they've been fantastic, and they brought in a gentleman named David Clements to run the the collaborative. He used to be one of the the chief guys over at Health Canada, and was also involved in cannabis coming through. So we sort of knew how the policy worked and stuff like that. So that collaboration has been nothing but joy and success for us, and. And they're looking at different clinical trials now and, and, and doing a lot of research, not on our behalf, but for the psychedelic. The, the only part that has been consistently joyful and is it's expensive. A million dollars for a little startup like us, that's a lot of money to commit. Mm. We're not big pharma, so we, we don't have the deep pocket. So so for us, it was a really, really, you know, we need to we needed to think very, very carefully about doing this. But Again, we were trying to step back on our fundamentals, and Andrew and I looked at each other, and I think we immediately knew this is not this is a this is an opportunity that we can't pass by. Versus, you know, we can't do it. And so, and what that has meant is that we've had access to great professionals. Our chief medical officer has come from from that relationship, um, you know, and and we did it because we believe in the science and we wanted to be associated with uh, a key driver in the science part of psychedelics. Uh, no apologies for us thinking that that would be good for our brand and kind of communicate where we're coming from. Uh, so, so that was true as well. And then I think as clinical trials evolve and so on, we'll be able to work with them uh, collaboratively uh, to, um, uh, you know, whether it's clinical trials, research trials, uh, it's, it's good to have an independent body. So like a lot of these kinds of relationships, um, we don't influence their agenda. You know, we're, we're supporting their existence and their growth, but we don't influence their agenda. So uh, they, they can be trusted to be a third-party unbiased player and yet still work with us if we can fit into a clinical or a research trial. So, you know, I think it's, I think in the long run, it's going to become an even more important relationship for us, but it's, as, as Andrew said, it's already been really critical. Okay. So what is your, like, like a last question, what is your favorite compound? <laughs> <laughs> I, can answer that. I know that one. <laughs> Which one? Well, my, you know, I, look, I've done ayahuasca, psilocybin, cannabis, um, but 5-MeO-DMT for me was the most profound experience that I had. Um, but that's also, you know, sort of after I would say I've done a lot of my healing. Yeah. Uh, 
and that obviously a very mystical experience. You know, I understand why they call it a God molecule. I watched the galaxy, the universe being created, felt connection for the first time in my life. You know, for myself, my experience was realizing that, you know, we're all one, we're all connected. Long story short, I ended up, you know, in tears because I recognized on a soul level that I was actually a good person, no matter what all the negative thoughts I have about myself are, that I was generally a good guy. And it left me like that, that, that was my last five minute of the MT experience was profound for me. That, that for the first time in my life, I felt like I was a good guy. Um, you know, not that other people think I was a good guy for my entire life, but for the first time I felt like I was a, a decent human being. Yeah, no, I understand what you mean. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's, um, Christopher, before we move over to you, I think it's so interesting that, um, that it's really possible to, to not, I mean, it's, it's such a different thing than saying like, oh, this is in the past and let's not think about it anymore. Like this kind of approach you would eventually also have in therapy, talk therapy, but it is really something if you go on the psychedelic journey where you, I mean, you truly are able to become a different person. I'm really, really convinced. Or the person you are. No, I think you become a new person because I think even like the person you are, or meant to be, maybe, I should say. Meant to be, yeah, maybe that's good. Because I find myself in a very big experiment right now with myself, like talk, like having conversations in a different way, um, having longer conversations with people that I not would not have conversations otherwise. So, and I think it's like, um, it's like a reset where you have the chance to be, to develop an authority around yourself. But And I feel also the, the experiences you have um, are, are rather scientific than painful. And this for me makes a difference that you're not like, oh, I'm not going to go there. This is painful. But it's just like, oh, this is, if you do this, it, mm, it feels like that. If you do this, oh, interesting. So, and this is something that is really, I mean, I don't think you could ever reach this with um, talk therapy. But uh, now over to Christopher. <laughs> well, this is going to sound strange, but I'm going to pick the same molecule okay. <laughs> or the same substance. But I've never done it. Okay. Oh, interesting. Yeah. <laughs> My plant medicine experience is very narrow compared to Andrew's. But um, there's a bunch of reasons for it. Part of it is Andrew's sharing of his experience, which probably is many as much as any experience he's shared or others has been the one that really captured my attention. Uh, there's a few other people in our industry, Sanjay and so on that are very, you know, I, I've heard a few people say, yeah, I did five MEO and now I don't feel like I need to do ayahuasca anymore. You know, that, that kind of experience. Yeah, that's possible. But also we've got to relate. There's a, there's an organization in, in Western Canada that is really trying to develop uh, five MEO uh, retreats and, I've, I've got to know them a fair bit over the last little while. And so there's a whole bunch of things that have really piqued my curiosity about it. So at the risk of us, uh, uh, you know, maybe it'd be more interesting if we had a disagreement on this, but I'm, I'm with Andrew on this one. No, you don't have to disagree. Part of the reason I like it too is it's over and half. Now. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's, I didn't want to say that. But. <laughs> well, it's attractive that it's over very fast. I mean, it's kind of a, it's an interesting idea. Not that you're conscious of time, but. Um, 
Yeah. Like it was, you know, I think that's the last ceremony I've done was, and it was an individual, I was as an individual, not as a group. And I mean, it was profound mm -hmm. for me, you know, it was, I finished in tears in a fetus position and, and, uh, but my, but everything changed after that, you know, like I just even, you know, if Chris was to, if I had an idea at work and Chris would say, Oh no, that's a silly idea. I always took it personally. <laughs> Where now I can go, no, no, just the idea is silly, not Andrew. Like, I know that's a bad example. No, no, I know exactly what you mean. I didn't, I'm not taking things anywhere near as personally as I used to. I that's only an example, and I've never done that. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you're right. It's, it's a, I, I have the same experience that I was just convinced that people would want to tell me that I would be not cool enough or just not good enough or like whatever, not enough. So, and now the, this, the, the, I mean, I find if you're really stressed out, you can see like how you still sometimes go back to the old thing, but, but if not, then, then you really go a different pathway And also you will see metal angels, right? When you do yes. well, what Joe I mean, Rogan says. Like, yeah, it's a, I mean, it's, it's an elegant way to end our conversation because that we're discussing why people should do this. And, um, well, there's so many different, you know, I mean, I think back when I participated in ceremony with Sequoia nation in Ecuador, we, you know, my partner and I were there for a number of weeks And the way they do it is they, you know, brew the, just the ayahuasca leaves and they get you up at three o'clock in the morning and you drink just the ayahuasca. Like, so it's not the brew, it's just the leaves of the ayahuasca boiled. Yeah. And you drink and drink and drink just the water from that until you puke, Va uh, purge, sorry, purge, you know, and you, they got us up three nights in a row and that was their preparation to get the body ready for ceremony and then when we actually participated in ceremony and there was five or six elders and you know we went up and, and this was ayahuasca we went up and drank and then they were in the middle of the jungle and you were in hammocks and then you know two hours late, like it's dead silent and they go from dusk to dawn And you drink four or five times and not a word is shared. <laughs> it was very different than any other experience I had had. Because um, there's no chanting, there's no music. It's just the sounds of it. And, uh, and that was an interesting way. I remember this, the, before the ceremony started, the, the, the shaman said, you know, when the canoe comes, just get on the canoe. <laughs> I mean, I, like, that was the extent of the communication you know what does that mean like well you know, he actually saying there was a canoe would come by which would be him and the other elders and when we come by hop in it and we'll take you on our journey and, you know and, and to some degree that's what happened you know but it was you know so i've done so many different ceremonies um each one being, being unique in its own way. And I think what we've created at Dimensions is another unique experience. Um, I think it's important to recognize the fact that there are different ways of, of accessing the same, you know, we're all trying to get to the garden, so to speak. Right. Wait, what's the garden? Just, well, <laughs> the garden meaning, you know, joy, self-fulfillment, whatever you're looking for, the end result, uh, happiness, connection, whatever that may be for each individual, wherever the reason they're doing plant medicine, um, 
you know, and, and I don't, I think people are going to find that cannabis is their best choice for some and ayahuasca for others. And so Simon, like 5-MeO DMT, um, I think people will, will find their way what works for them best. You know, it's not, I have no interest at 55 years old anymore to going to the jungle and, and laying on a floor and, you know, eating and half my meals, um, which is probably we built a five-star location. Because um, there's something about that too, right? Um, doesn't mean you don't have enough experience. No, but I find it interesting that that dimensions when you mean that with the five-star location, it's still not this old idea of a five-star location or place. It's just really like you're really, like it's a serene place. The level of care is five star. Yeah, that's probably. Yeah, no, 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 for sure, for sure. But I mean, it's not like your idea of like you know, oh, like a billionaire catering. Yeah, no. We do just... have a helicopter and airport landing five minutes away. I know, but, that's not but ours, don't. So. Say <laughs> but again, final final thing to say, and yeah, despite your question and despite this last conversation, it's not about the plan. Yeah, I agree with that. It is about yourself. It's about the process. It's about being intentional. It's about, you know, anyway. What I believe is that the psychedelics open ourselves up to change, facilitate change. You know, it, it's, it's a, a means to change, but it's, I don't believe that if you just suddenly do psilocybin, whether it's a hero dose or not, and sit in a room by yourself that, you know, you may have an experience, but you wouldn't have an experience, but um, it doesn't mean, oh, okay, now I'm healed. Right. Yeah, but I, but I feel I feel this change. It's a very interesting position to be in because I mean, and this is something that's kind of not much talked about yet. But I feel also you you're able to see you could change into a very positive direction. You would be also sometimes able to change into a very mean direction. Do you know what I mean? It's kind mm -hmm. of, it's, it's something I have this uh, right in front of mine from, from the Zeit and he is, um, he's researching a lot about ayahuasca, um, indigenous peoples who are actually looking into how about to actually prep somebody to, to look into the darker side of, um, as a shaman, because I mean, our thinking is like, oh, the, the Western person is kind of a has to heal the Western person goes to ayahuasca and then there's this nice shaman who's um, healing the West. And then the person is coming back and it's like, Oh, now everything's positive. But I think the the more this discussion around psychedelics is progressing, you can also see that suddenly um, as a human being, you have a variety of looking into several ways that would be possible that a person could take. And it's still something, you know, very undefined as a, as a topic, but I find it wildly interesting. And it doesn't mean that you have to, to engage in harmful behavior, but you, but you can see that you can see suddenly the direction that people could also take with their new idea around themselves. I'm mm -hmm. not going to say like cult leaders, but it could go a little bit into this direction also. I mean, we don't have to go into detail, but it's something that is, that would be another podcast. <laughs> it's another podcast, yeah. but I'm just saying that this, I would, I really feel very passionate about just 
getting into this topic, what, what this change actually is kind of. Mm -hmm. And it's also something I think in the future one has to look into, or we should look into the, let's say the modalities of change in, in, in the, in the human being. I think that's a very interesting topic to come also in, in the future. Well, you know, I did a, an ayahuasca ceremony. It was, I think it was two nights. And, uh, you know, I had been doing so much meditation and spiritual work and was really looking forward to this, uh, this experience and thinking, oh, you know, I'm going to meet God this time, you know, or whatever, you know, we're going to have. <laughs> and because uh, of all the spiritual work I've been doing. And, you know, we went into ceremony and I, drank and all of a sudden a voice came on so like you know out of nowhere I was like uh, oh yes Andrew you've been doing great work way to go kid on spirituality and meditating <laughs> and stuff but you're not you're not taking care of yourself you're not exercising you're eating this you're smoking yeah. cigarettes you do this you drink too much of this you know da -da -da -da, meaning sugary pop and stuff like that you know we need to clean your body out of this and I was like oh great how are we gonna do that well just hold on I was like what do you mean And literally vomited for five hours straight. Um, and what I wow. saw were, to be honest with you, I saw fetuses come out. I saw dead animals come out. Like, it was not a pleasant yeah, experience yeah. by any means. Uh, and if you've ever perched for five hours, that's a long time to perch. Um, and I remember going to the shaman afterwards, like, look, you know, I can't do another night of that. That was just pure out. She goes, oh, it looked like you're you know, having a difficult experience. She goes, well, you know, we're only halfway through the ceremony because the way they looked at it, if you were there two nights, the ceremony is only halfway done. You know, maybe tonight will be a different experience. And of course, the second night I go back and drink it. the voice comes back, what, you think we're done in one night? Another five hours. <laughs> the interesting thing is, I this ran is not an advertising. No, 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 not a thing. No, but it's good to have these insights. It's reality, right? And because I thought I was going to have a big spiritual experience. And then though, literally three days later, I went and visited my mother and she looked at me and goes, Oh my God, Andrew, what have you been doing? You haven't looked this healthy in years. Look at the white in your eyes. I haven't seen your eyes. So your skin da, da, da. It was like, I was seven years ago old and she wanted to pinch my cheeks and stuff again, you know? And, you know, I said, Oh, well, mom, I did ayahuasca this weekend, which was a mistake. because then I got a lecture about psychedelics and drugs and, going down that path again but anyway um she couldn't argue with how i looked so interesting we never know the experience we're going to well and, so, and an yeah. initial negative experience can be followed up with a very positive one right? yes exactly. absolutely no it's often that we can't predict what's going to be next right okay andrew and chris it was amazing to have you on the show It was great to be on. Appreciate it. Entirely our pleasure, and and it's always lovely to see you better in person than like this. But this is the next best thing. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the New Health Club Show, and please follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, or if you would like to sign up for our newsletter, please go to www.thenewhealthclub.de and subscribe to the newsletter. Again, please follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Clubhouse, of course, there's also a new health club now. Or even better, sign up to a newsletter on thenewhealthclub.de. I talk to you very soon. <laughs>